Hello, I'd like to read you an editorial from the Irish Times today, Thursday, the May the 24th. It's entitled The Irish Times View on Abortion, End the Secrecy and the Shame. The subtitle is The Constitution is No Place for Abortion. That was clear in 1983 and is even clearer now. Before I read it, I want to just tell you something. I've read it already. I recorded it already. And I broke down while I was reading it. So this isn't the first time I've read it. I'm sorry that I... Something went wrong in the software and I wasn't... I lost the recording. Here's what the Irish Times had to say. It starts with a quotation. What an appalling prospect for the future generation, end quote. This column remarked in late August 1983, when it was becoming clear that the Irish people were about to vote to, to write a ban on abortion into the Constitution. As a bitter campaign drew to a close, the Irish Times imagined, as did others in the liberal minority, a dark scenario in which the Eighth Amendment, far from offering the final word on abortion, would instead prolong and amplify a national trauma. Lawyers would argue interminably about the meaning of an opaquely worded amendment. Doctors would be left confused by it. Women would continue to travel abroad for, abroad for terminations in secrecy and in shame. If anything, 35 years on, the Eighth Amendment has turned out to be more damaging than its critics in those febrile days dared imagine. Within a decade, the country was presented with the grotesque spectacle of a 14-year-old girl known as Miss X, pregnant and suicidal as a result of rape, as she was forced to go to the Supreme Court after the state intervened to block her from travelling for an abortion a constitutional provision that attempted the impossible to give equal weight to the life of the mother and the unborn was producing the unimaginable. The abortion was unconstitutional, the Supreme Court ruled, except where there was a real and substantial risk to the life of the mother, including by suicide. In other words, the amendment had failed to achieve even what its champions sought. The Eighth Amendment elevated hypocrisy to the status of constitutional principle. Within months of the X case, the people voted to add two new articles to Bunrock and Heron. That's the Constitution. One allowed for the distribution of information about overseas abortions. The other explicitly assured women the right to go abroad for terminations. In the glossary of dark Irish euphemisms went the verb, quote, to travel. Since 1992, then, the Constitution has recognised the right of an Irish woman to have an abortion. But unless she is at risk of dying, she must have it somewhere else. Ten women do so every day of the week. At least three others order the abortion pill online and take it without any medical supervision. This is the lived reality of the Eighth Amendment. It means that a woman who becomes pregnant by rape in Ireland must have the baby it means that couples who receive the devastating news of a fatal fetal abnormality must take the lonely journey to England if they wish to end the pregnancy. 
It means, as the High Court heard in the case of Miss P in 2014, that doctors can find themselves standing at the bedside of a clinically dead and pregnant young woman with a copy of the Constitution in their hands, trying to figure out if they are breaking the law by switching off life support. In this referendum campaign, no group of voters has a monopoly on compassion. Across the state, good and caring people are wrestling with a complex issue and will continue to do so long after Friday's vote. Many will vote yes reluctantly, knowing that repeal need not in itself imply a personal endorsement of abortion, yet persuaded that others should be free to make their own choices. For many years, opinion polls have consistently shown strong public support for a regime that would allow for terminations in case of rape and fatal fetal abnormality. At its hearings earlier this year, the Oireachtas Committee, that's the Parliamentary Committee, on the Eighth Amendment heard consistent legal advice that allowing for abortions only in those limited circumstances would be unworkable. The committee's proposal adopted by the government in the scheme of a bill published on the eve of the campaign is for abortion without restriction up to 12 weeks of pregnancy and when a woman's life or health is at risk. It's a reasonable proposal that would bring Ireland closer to the European mainstream. Do you know, I don't find that argument that we should be close to the European mainstream attractive at all. I don't give a damn what other countries are doing in this respect. I only care about what is going to happen in Ireland. Anyway, that's my rant. The no side argues that politicians cannot be trusted on the issue. But that amounts to saying that we cannot trust ourselves. And here's my comment, and that root lies the end of parliamentary democracy. End, end of my quote. And that's not good enough. The Constitution is no place for abortion. That was clear in 1983, and it's even clearer now. The Eighth Amendment describes a world that never existed. A place of moral absolutism, religious certainty, good and evil, black and white and locks us into that illusion in perpetuity. God, I have to read that again. This is the third time I've read that. The Eighth Amendment describes a world that never existed, a place of moral absolutism. I grew up in it. Religious certainty, I grew up in it. Good and evil, I grew up in it. Black and white, I grew up in it. And locks us into that illusion in perpetuity. Thank goodness I had parents who who were different from many people's parents and didn't damage me with their views. Sorry, back to the issue. The Irish Times says, to remove it is merely to reflect the world we live in. Sorry, i got to say one more thing. I lived in a society where people were damaged by this moral absolutism, religious certainty, Good and evil, black and white. I leave out black and white. There were no black people living in Ireland. Hardly any at all. But good and evil is strong enough for me. That's the country I grew up in. That's the secret Ireland. The implications of that are still secret. I can't go back on it. You can find out about it if you're interested. Back to the Irish Times. To remove it, the Eighth Amendment is merely to reflect the world we live in, a contingent, uncertain place, full of messiness and ambiguity, where the distance between happiness and despair, public joy and private anguish are 
agonizingly small. This is the truth for me. With a yes vote, we can reject a worldview that relegates a woman's bodily autonomy below the right of the state to tell her it knows best. We can bring an end to the secrecy and the shame. Well, we can... It's deeply embedded in our culture, but thank goodness. This is me. Thank goodness. The stories that people have been telling, that people have been... I mean, you could say almost forced to listen to for their own good. It's changing Ireland for the better. And the last line in the Irish Times, the last two lines, we can bring an end to the secrecy and the shame. We can embrace a more generous idea of the state itself. Look, we can embrace more gen generously human beings. The, the idea of the state is an idea. This is flesh and blood stuff. This is not ideas. This is not principles. These are real human beings living a real life. The only life they have. The only life they will ever have. And the last line, repeal the eight. Well, I'm going to say this to myself more than to anybody else. I don't just hope that abortion will be legalized in Ireland that there'll be a constitutional change. And I don't just hope that the politicians in Parliament will put in place a legal change. I don't just hope that, it'll, that it, it, it won't be delayed. I don't just hope it'll happen quickly. But I'll be proud of an Ireland that enables people to have abortions. By now I'm fed up. I, I, I actually think abortion is a damn good thing to have available for citizens. I don't have any personal reservation. I want to live in a world in which people, not just my daughter, but people can have abortions if they want them. That's the world I want to live in. And I'm proud of my clarity. And I have a vote. And I will vote. And other people can vote whatever way they want. For all I know, Ireland might, as a generalization, might not be ready for this. I wrote something myself today before I read the Irish Times, I'd like to read it to you. It's called Repeal. If you were looking at it on a page, you'd see a long, a long thin, slim column of words. So here it is. Repeal. Repeal the silence. Repeal the secrets. Repeal the shame. Repeal the road to Liverpool. Maybe I should have stopped there. Repeal the sin. Repeal the guilt. Repeal the pain. Repeal the first. Repeal the second. Repeal the third. Repeal the fourth. 
repeal the fifth, repeal the sixth, repeal the seventh, repeal the eighth. Heal, 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 repeal. M or B, I. Damien, you're very welcome. Thank you. Um, first of all, just identify for me why somebody might be undecided. Is it because they really haven't made up their mind? They don't feel very strongly about the issue, so they're not as fixed in their view as some people? Does that mean that they're swayable? What kind of person falls into the undecided category at this point? At this point, probably um, there are a lot of people that I think potentially are very easily swayed. Um, and I'm surprised sometimes uh, the polls haven't seen such a dramatic shift in the numbers. Um, when we started this campaign, we essentially had three groups of people. We had a bunch of people who weren't going to vote in favour no matter what, and they had made up their minds and that was that. Um, we had a bunch of people who said, absolutely, I'm going to vote, and again, would not listen to any of the arguments. They had made up their mind, and that's the way they were going to go. In the middle, we had a bunch of people who were open, um, and we know quite a lot about that bunch of people. We know for a fact that, and from polls that we've conducted, we know that they want to change. The vast, vast majority want some change to the Constitution. We know the vast majority of that group are also in favour of abortion in hard cases. That's, again, we absolutely know that. We also know from polling that the majority of that group are not in favour of abortion on demand. Um, so when they were presented with essentially what is a package. It's a package to say we will solve the hard cases um, but to solve the hard cases there will be abortion on demand and what we found was that particular group in the main were willing to accept that compromise and we actually, we actually polled people and we asked them um, what do you feel and, and 50 or 69% of the yes voters agreed that it was a compromise. So, so they are potentially, um, I wouldn't say soft but somewhat soft. So, so to, to just to be very clear, so these are people who wanted change to accommodate the hard cases about that we mean rape, incest, fatal, fetal abnormalities, those kinds of yes. things. We that they wanted that. They were not keen on the idea of uh, abortion available without specific indication. They didn't, yes. they didn't like that. But ultimately, they were willing to take the compromise of the twelve week thing to accommodate the hard cases, and that's within that area. They are the soft, soft yeses. Could we do yes, that? We, we started off um, when we first polled um, how people would vote number was 63% in favour so um, that's kind of where we're starting from and that includes this bunch of people who've said actually you know what I'm going to go yes I'm going to kind of uh, compromise somewhat um, that slipped to 58% in our most recent poll that was 10 days out from voting um, the question is will it slip a little bit further now one of the other interesting pieces of information within that um, uh, poll is that 34% of yes voters feel 12 weeks is too far uh, 34%. So, so you can see the last week or so the debate has been focused on one side um, uh, trying to convince people that actually 12 weeks might be a little bit too far because they know that's where it's yep. soft uh, and the other side saying actually well in hard cases this is what we need to do to solve that problem because yep. we know that's why this group are actually going to vote yes so that's where the battleground has been it was when we started this campaign and it will be in the minds of voters the same battleground right up until uh, tomorrow Okay um, With regard to undecideds do they kind of mirror-ish what the yeses and nos who, who are decided do? In other words, if, if it's 58% at the moment uh, yes and it's 30-something percent no, that 17% in the middle, that the undecided, will they be ish 
58%, 32 do, do they kind of mirror it? Or is it that people are afraid to say they're a yes voter or they're afraid to say they're a no voter and therefore there's a subtle difference to what the undecided look like? The um, there's two undecided voters are two different things. Um, there are undecided voters who tell us when we poll them they're undecided. Um, now, we have, and again, there's no absolute way of knowing if these people will ever vote, but our suspicion um, and what we base our polling on is people who say don't know, when you ask them if they're going to vote, are most likely giving you a very polite, I'm probably not going to vote. So um, there are undecideds who say they're undecideds, but even people who say yes or no when asked, um, that's usually where the swing comes from. It comes from people who feel when they're asked which way they're going to go, they give you an answer, but when the time comes, they'll vote a different way. That's as, as important, if not a more important group than the people who actually say they're undecided in polls. To answer your question specifically, Kira, we did ask people who were undecided which way they would be leaning. And for those people who said that they were leaning one direction or another, it more or less came out in the same direction as the general polls. In other words, in the mid-50s were leaning towards yes, and in the mid-40s were leaning towards no. So there was no obvious okay. um, skew amongst the, uh, the don't-knows. Okay, so, so within the, the other thing, because a lot of people say the undecideds will, will sort this out and sway this and do all this. So are you saying there's a higher likelihood that if you are an undecided, you may not bother to vote at all? Because one is you haven't made up your mind, or you don't feel as strongly about the issue as the no's who are fixed or the yeses who are fixed. So the undecideds are a lower voter turnout group too. Is that is that fair to say? Um, the undecideds are, are absolutely a much lower uh, turnout group. Um, the the pattern in recent um, referendum, actually not even recent if you go back, we've been polling kind of 30, 40 years, um, the pattern has almost always been we start off enthusiastically yes for a particular proposition uh, and as voting day nears we start to kind of go, well actually you know there are two sides to the argument, the yes side starts to slip and slip and slip and sometimes it slips beyond 50 and it's not passed sometimes it slips and it's still uh, above 50 so the only one thing we can say is that um, as polling um, gets nearer people start to um, if, if they're undecided, if they're not sure if they kind of see both sides of the argument, they can tend towards the status quo, which is tending towards no. That has been the pattern. Whether it's the pattern in this election, we don't know, or this referendum, we don't know. In the last uh, sort of major uh, referendum on, on a similar sort of an idea uh, as this, on a similar social issue as this, uh, on the, the marriage equality referendum, a lot of the undecideds, I remember much of the talk in the lead up to that referendum was that they would be the silent no's. They turned out, in effect, to be the silent yeses, and that's why the, the referendum was, was carried in, in probably a greater number than perhaps people had predicted. Um, if you were making a prediction, Damien, and I know pollsters don't particularly like to make a prediction, what do you think is going to happen this weekend? Um, you're right, pollsters. Um, not that we don't like to, but um, we shouldn't. Uh, it's important that we don't. Um, and I'm not asking you yeah, what no, you what, want what, to what, happen or what your opinion on, on abortion think, is or anything polls, like that. All, all I'll say, and this is maybe kind of a sitting on the fence answer, the polls say that it should be yes, but uh, in the marriage equality, as, as you referenced, um, between our last poll 10 days out and uh, the day of voting, uh, there was an eight-point drop for the yes side. So at the moment, our last poll said 58%. A similar drop of eight points from 58 will mean 50-50 so it can be anywhere probably between 50 and into the 60s and I suppose that goes to show that if you do have an opinion on this you need to get out and vote if it's as close as that thank you very much for speaking to us today that is Damien Loach there Managing Director of Ipsos M or BI do you get in touch with me uh, 1890 you can call Kira. tell me how you're going to vote and tell me why you're going to vote that way I'd love to hear from you you can also text us at 53106 but